know.com clarity about reality alhamdulillah today we are in the month of jumaat al-ula the third today and what this means is it leaves us just under four months before ramadan so what that means for us is we have to begin the process of preparation we have the physical preparation which is if we can do any extra fasts or we can move our schedules around regarding work or school or what have you to prepare ourselves for the physical rigors of what Ramadan will be there is the mental and spiritual preparedness in which case we have to make a strong intention that we will fast every day of Ramadan and that we do so with a strong intention every day and that we will try to perfect our worship and be better than we were the last Ramadan. This has to be the opening stages of our preparation. So hopefully, inshallah, when we reach Ramadan, we are now in full view rather than sort of waiting and then maybe a week into it where we say, okay, now I'm fully ready. Rather, we're ready beforehand so when we approach and meet Ramadan, we are at full capacity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned something to us and I, I think it's linked to part of what's happened on Wednesday which is uh, the <clears throat> first of Jumaat al-Ula uh, a new Pope was chosen for the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church which also has seven rites but this is particularly the Roman Rite because it's the largest rite and this uh, Pope is coming from Argentina took the name of Francis, named after St. Francis of Assisi. And he is the first Jesuit Pope. Now for those that aren't aware of the history of the Jesuits, I would strongly advise you to head to your local library and try to obtain a book on the Jesuits or their rise to power. It was circumstances surrounding the Jesuits, their rise to power, and other activities that precipitated the expulsion of 1.6 million Muslims in the year 1699 from what we're calling Spain and Portugal. It led to the extermination, a large-scale extermination of Muslims throughout Europe. This process of uh, Jesuitizing, because the Jesuits are well, they're also known as the Society of Jesus, very strong, they're very strong. And he already stated from the outset that he wants a papacy that's collegiate. That means where it's priest-based, it's quite powerful. And even in Argentina, where he, was, where he was before he came into power, he was a very strong, stalwart voice. The only other one I was thinking that might get in besides him was Cardinal Giovanni Biffi, who said that there should be another crusade because Islam is now confronting Catholicism and we have to fight it like we did the first time. But he didn't get in. Instead. It was this man, who was a collegian, scholarly, theological uh, Jesuit, the first Jesuit. So my, my statement to you would be to keep your eyes on events that are happening in the world to have Catholic majorities where they're also Muslims. Kenya, Uganda, uh, the influences that this could have in the Eastern churches. So in Russia, for example, Russian Soviet Socialist Republics, which although they're Russian Orthodox, 
Uh, they've recently reconciled many of their doctrinal differences like the filioque with the Roman Rite. And these are people that are very serious about their, their religion. So you have to understand this is not a light matter. And this testing that the Ummah goes through and whatever tests that come through it remind us of what happens to the greatest to be tested, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Before he went on the night journey, there were a number of events that preceded this. The first event that preceded this was called Amul Huzn. Amul Huzn is the month in which both he and his, uh, both his uncle and his wife died. His wife Khadija al-Kubra died of malnutrition. The reason why she died of malnutrition is because of the fact that a boycott had been enacted against the Muslims by the Quraysh of Mecca by refusing to sell, sell food to them, to take coinage from them, to transact with them at all. This led to Muslims being so hungry at some point that they ate the leather off of their own shoes. So it's the equivalent of peeling the plastic off of the bottom of your shoes, cooking that, and then eating that because of the severe hunger that they had. People ate dirt, they ate sand. People did all different types of things to survive. People mixed sand with dough to try to make their, 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 uh, their dough last longer, so the flour lasted longer, so they were eating sand in their bread. All these types of things happened to the Muslims, and they happened to the Rasul Wasallam as well. His wife died of malnutrition. His uncle Abu Talib, who had looked after him since the time of him being eight years old, he as well succumbed to the effects of old age as well as the boycott. And so two people that were very close to him died in one year within months of each other. So this time is called Aam al-Huzn, the year of mourning, or the year of sorrow. It wasn't just this that happened. He was, in, he was told that some people in Ta'if would be willing to hear the message of Islam. When he came down to Ta'if, he found that the elders of Ta'if had provoked the children against him, and they were throwing stones that smashed him in the face, his chest, his back, and blood ran into his shoes. Zayd ibn Haritha had to lift his shield because stones were literally raining down on them. And he left that area in a state of great sorrow. The angels came to him in procession and said, if you so will, we shall cause the mountains to come down and crush these people for their rejection of you. His response was, no, I shall instead pray for them and pray that out of the loins of their fathers will come a generation after that will be faithful. So this is the background of the night journey of the Prophet Muhammad So he comes back to Mecca now, makes his way back to Mecca. And it is while he's nursed himself from his wounds that the angel Jibreel alayhi salam comes to him. And he comes to him and he says to him, we must go. 
and they make the night journey, going from Mecca, Al-Masjid Al-Haram, because his house was inside of the precinct, to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, to the farthest masjid in Jerusalem. It is from there that he went on the night journey in which many spectacular events are mentioned. For example, the salawat, which at that time Allah had revealed, uh, Fajr and Maghrib, those were the two salawats that were revealed. But on the night journey, Allah revealed all five salawats and said, no, they are to pray five, and this is how they should look, and this is what they are to resemble in one night. Now, originally, Allah said you were to pray 50. And he went back and he spoke to Nabi Musa, alayhi salam, who said to ask for a reduction. And so it was reduced to 40. And the process carried on until finally, at five, he said, I will not return back to Allah and ask again. And Allah said, my decree stands true. So although they pray five, their reward shall be for 50. So each salah that you pray is worth 10. That's why sometimes Fajr or Dhuhr or Asr, sometimes the salah feels heavy because each one is worth 10 in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you take those 10, you pray those 10 Fajrs, which is only one Fajr, but it's being counted as 10. You pray it in Jama'ah. Well, now that's times 27. So that's 270. And then you go to the masjid and you pray it there, which is multiplied. So it just becomes something hugely multiplied. And we don't realize it because it's just the same thing as when you're using electricity. You don't realize it until the bill comes. Well, on the Day of Judgment, the same thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to present you with your receipt. This is what you've done. Now, if you've kept to what Allah prescribed with regards to purification and your worship, then you'll have a good, you'll have a good bill. But if you haven't, there'll be gaps missing. But the point of what I'm saying is all of the things on the night journey that happened up until him seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of that came after a huge amount of testing to the point that it was called the Amul Huzn. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this when he says, A'udhu billahi wa shaytanir wa najmi idha hawa ma dalla sahibukum wa ma ghawa wa ma yantiqu anil hawa إن هو إلا وحي يوحى علمه الشديد القوى ذو مضرة فاستوى وهو بالأفق الأعلى ثم دنا فتدلى فكان قاب قوسين أو أدنى فأوحى إلى عبده ما أوحى ما كذب الفؤاد ما رأى أفتمارونه على ما يرى So the star has declined and your companion is not insane, nor is he mad. But he speaks of revelation that's revealed to him. This revelation is revealed to him by one mighty in power, possessing strength. And he saw the companion that brought the revelation on the horizon in the beginning. And he waited on the horizon looking at your companion. And he came two bow lengths or closer. And he revealed to the slave of Allah what he wanted to reveal. And his heart did not lie about what it saw. So how can you then debate with him about what he saw? This is discussing the Prophet Muhammad seeing the angel Jibreel alayhi salam in his angelic form, which happened twice. Once at the beginning of Revelation and again on the night journey. So Allah is saying that all of the signs that he saw from the first revelation all the way up until the night journey, all of these signs were a gift for Allah, from Allah to him. If you look at Surah Al-Najm, the 53rd surah, read the whole surah, it's a surah that deals with testing. It deals with testing. 
And sometimes all of us may have our husband and your sorrow, it might be something that is a daily sorrow if you have long-term health issues. It might be something that's a weekly sorrow if it's to do with uh, economic issues. It might be something that's a monthly sorrow. It might be a sorrow that's come because someone close to you died or a friend is broken away from you or your family is fractured. Everyone has their huzn. Everyone has their sorrow. But the issue is, is not who has the sorrow or what time it comes. It's how you deal with it. The Prophet Muhammad وسلم, having his, his amr huzn, he did not say, well, why is this happening to me? He didn't say, I'm the best of all the prophets, I'm the last of the prophets sent, the first one created. Why are you doing this to me, Allah? But rather, his response was to become more steadfast, to beg Allah more in his worship, to be more strenuous. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those will be tested. The best of us get tested. So the least of us, of course, must also be tested. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ يُقَتَلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتٍ بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ وَلَكِنْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ Do not say of those who are killed in the cause of Allah that they're dead. They're alive. But you do not know that. Then right after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about people being tested. Being tested. You'll be tested. He will most, Allah says, He will most certainly test you with something of fear, hunger, and decrease in wealth, or yourselves. That could be illness, it could be long term or brief. Sometimes people go through life, everything's going well, then it comes up, they get cancer. So subhanAllah, how? He never drank, he never smoked, he never did this, he never did that, he never did this. And subhanAllah, he's got cancer. Yes? Our response is, well, <laughs> He is the one who will certainly test you with fear and hunger and decrease of wealth, yourselves, and, and your crops, or your food and wealth. Give glad tidings to those who are patient. So sometimes the people, subhanAllah, they live a clean life, ate vegetables every day and fruits every day, never messed with anything, didn't drink, didn't smoke, nothing. But something happens to them. Sometimes you get people that they live the clean life, the person next to them, he lives to be 90-something, and the other person, he's driving down the road one day, he just got married, he gets in the car accident, he flies through the front windshield of the car, he bangs onto the other car, and he's killed instantly. Oh, why did that happen to him? Because subhanAllah, he's going to test you. It's not, it's not thing, well, he might. He will most certainly, he will most certainly test you. He will most certainly test you. And give glad tidings to those who are patient. And then he says after that, he says in Surah Al-Baqarah after that, he says, الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَتْهُمْ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ When they are tested, they say, Indeed, to Allah we belong, and to Him is our return. 
So those who are tested, their response is not, damn it, or these other things. Their response is, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Father died, why him? Because it was his time to get killed. It was his time to die. This happened, why? Why did that happen to me? Someone once spoke with me in a long discussion, and they said to me, <laughs> subhanAllah, it just reminds you, it makes you realize that sometimes people have a misunderstanding of what the relationship is between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, I've suffered so much in life, and I've suffered so many difficulties, so I asked Allah, this time, don't do this to me again. And it happened again. To which my response was, who are you to tell him what he does and doesn't do in his sovereign universe? There's certain people who are sick, and Allah wants them sick. How do you know that? Because he said so, you lummox. He said, there's certain people he wants sick. There's certain people where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to have leprosy. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's walking, he healed one person with leprosy, and he didn't heal another one. Why? Because Allah wants certain people to have leprosy. Why? Because it's part of his sovereign will. He's the master of this universe. Some people, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he made dua for them and they recovered. Some people, they died. And the response, the question was, well, why is this? Because those people, they came to their appointed time. So you don't tell the sovereign of this universe, Malik al you don't tell him, well, I told you this, like how you speak to a local friend on the block or your local neighbor or your local MP. You write a letter to them. You don't speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this matter. Because testing comes. Testing comes. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says about those that have been tested, and they say, indeed to Allah we belong, to him is the return. These ones, they have blessings from their Lord and mercy. And they are guided. So the people that are doing that, they're guided. They're suffering, they're going through all different types of tribulations, but they're guided. So you will have your husband. You will have them. Things will not go your way. Sometimes you won't get your toy or whatever it is, you won't get things your way. And it's gonna happen. If it hasn't happened yet, don't worry, it's coming. If you haven't been ill, don't worry, you will. You think your hair will never change colors? You think you'll never have stress? You think you'll never have times when you'll be up at night? You are a dreamer. If you think your teeth will never fall out, if you think you'll never change color, if you think you'll never have the onward stages, of geriatric age, you are a dreamer. Let me introduce you to some elderly people who will divorce you from this stigma. Because you will have tests, you will have trials. Some of you will get dementia, some of you won't. Some of you will get Alzheimer's, some of you won't. Some of you will die early, some of you won't. Some of you will live to be 100 and something, and some of you won't. But all of this belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's testing. And it's meant for every single individual to have their tests, to have their huzn. And if the Prophet وسلم, the greatest human being that ever lived, he had his I'm al-huzn. If he had it, then subhanAllah, we can have bumps and scrapes as well, because we're certainly less than him. So we've got to understand what we do when the tests happen. It's not how many tests there are. It's not what tests there are. It's what you do when they come. أستغفر الله إن الله غفور رحيم الحمد لله
الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على من لا نبي بعده وبعد. The tests that have come are there for a reason. And sometimes those tests, they're great indeed. Imam Muwafiq al-Din ibn Qudama rahimahullah, one of the greatest scholars of the past thousand years, every single one of his children died within his lifetime. So he was not survived by any of his children. They died within his lifetime. Most of them in infancy. Now, if this happens once, that's something that you can bear. No matter how great the tribulation is, you can bear. If it happens twice, then you learn to exercise patience. But if it happens three times, and four times, and five times, and six times, and then the seventh time, and I don't mean that it's a miscarriage, I mean the child comes to full term, is born, and then dies in infancy. If that happens to you seven times, and you're able to remain patient for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can see what type of individual that is. There's people that are crying and moaning about, oh, we haven't had any kids yet. They're crying and moaning and looking at IV this and IV that. And then they have a kid. And then they're annoyed all the time when they have him because they, well, now he's crying all the time because he needs to be fed in the night. He needs his diaper changed. And then they're crying and moaning because he's not talking. Can't wait till he talks. Can't wait till he talks. Then he starts talking. He won't shut up. So now he's talking too much. And they're moaning and they're crying because he's talking too much. And then he gets old and they say, oh, can't wait till he gets old enough because then we can send him to school. So then he gets sent to school and he's got all these questions. So now he's asking too many questions. And we're moaning because he's asking too many questions. And then he goes on and we can't wait till he gets old enough because then he's going to go to secondary school and we're going to live out our secondary dreams through him. And I didn't make it to be a doctor, but now he's going to because he's got to because that's the way it's got to be. And now we push that on him. And then he does. And then we're angry because he's not visiting as much because he's doing 12-hour shifts. So we're moaning about the fact that he's doing 12-hour shifts. But we pushed him like a dog to be a doctor and do all these other things, and now we're angry with it. We have to start to look at the realities of our condition. We have to learn to become more patient with trials that are going to come your way. And these trials, different people are going through different trials at all times. If you look at your situation, you say, okay, let us just say, you say, well, my wife's always on my case, she's always nagging me, she's always this, she's always that, or my mom's always on my case, or my kids are always annoying me, why can't they just be quiet? Or I've got this and that, I've got this bill, I've got that bill, I've got all these other things on me, okay? That may require a number of things. Number one, it may require you to organize some of your time better. Some tests are to teach you to organize your time better. Man, these bills, they just come all at once. Okay, why don't you organize to try to pay them in small chunks so they don't come all at once? So sometimes tests are designed to, to give you time to think and to organize. 
and to put you straight on certain priorities. Guy's a workaholic. He's doing 90-hour weeks. He's doing 60-hour weeks. 20 years, he's doing 30, 40, 50 hours, 60 hours. Right? Straight. For 20 years, he's doing 60-hour weeks. Works at a cannery. He's married, everything else. But he doesn't spend enough time with his kids, everything else. One day, he gets the loop-doop, 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 falls down, wakes up in intensive care. And what does that do for him? It reorients his life on where his priorities lie. You've been working like a donkey for 20 years. But what does it matter if you don't see your kids and your wife is thinking, why did I even get married to this guy? What's the point? Your wife is at the door with a suitcase on the, on the way to leaving you. And that's when you have that heart attack and you start realizing the priorities that matter in life. That's some of why tests come is teaches you priorities in life. The third thing is tests also give you <clears throat> tests also give you the opportunity to look at your condition, but also to remember subhanAllah, it could have been worse. I remember when we were young, our house got burned down by Americans. They burnt our house down. And the house is burning and we're all huddled outside and there's uh, Ford pickup trucks driving up and down the street and they're waving American flags and really the fire department came and it was after the fact and the police, you know, some of these people are related to the police so obviously they're not going to investigate the case and do anything and we're just sitting here shivering and we're thinking, boy, what are we going to do? And so we wound up going to our grandparents' house. And while we were there, we heard of a similar case happening in uh, Bogalusa, uh, Louisiana. It's a town of about 45,000, a mudhole town. Uh, Bogalusa, Louisiana, a similar thing happened to a Muslim family, only they had nowhere to go. So they didn't have a house that they could go to. So it made us really think that, subhanAllah, okay, the house got burned. But the things that were valuable, us as a family, we got out. It could have been worse. We could have died in the blaze. We could have lost everything. And so we put it in, you have to put things in perspective sometimes where you start to think, subhanAllah, it's not as bad as it could have been. Or your situation might not be as bad as others. The next time you Think about how bad your situation is and you're moaning because your mom's on your back or your dad's on your back or your wife's nagging you all the time. The next time you think about that, take a day out just for a couple of hours. Go down to the hospital and ask to visit the hospice ward where there are cancer patients who are in the last stages of their death. And there's that sour milk smell. There's this smell that death has. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to smell it, but I've smelled that smell so many times. There's this smell that death has. It's like sour milk, a really strong sour milk smell. And go down to the hospice and ask those people, those English people in particular though, ask them in particular, because it's an important point to remember. Ask them in particular, so when's the last time you had a visit? And they might break down and cry and say, well, I don't have any family here. They're all working. They're all this. They're all that. And then you go to the Jamaican one. You go to the Asian ones. You go to all the different ones. And you'll meet people on that hospice ward that these people are being ravaged by cancer. And no one even has the common decency to come and see. 
go down to one of these old folks' homes. And you see the old people that are sitting there and they're being fed tapioca pudding by someone who's paid to pay them attention. And their own children have no time for them. My grandfather died at home. My grandmother died at home. Our people, they die at home. If we find them dead and they're cold and they're clammy, fine. But they die at home around people that can look after them. These people, and then once a year, or a couple times a year on Easter or something, they come and they pay them a visit and they treat their parents or these loved ones like they're doing them a favor. Oh, here you are. I've brought you a present. And these people, they're so grateful that someone's visited them that resembles them, that looks like them, that has their last name. They're just happy to see them. They're just grateful. And here you are moaning about your parents that do your laundry for you. They make your food. They do everything but change your diaper because you're too old to do that now. You're moaning about them being on your case. You have to understand all the effort that was went through, all the things that happened, your parents and those people that are close to you, sometimes the test, test is coming from them towards you because you're not doing what they told you to do. Just do what they told you to do and they won't be on your case. Sometimes you're being nagged because you don't do it unless they nag you. How come you're always nagging me? Because you don't act unless I nag you. Sometimes you ask your mom, how come you're always on me? Because I got to be, because you're lazy. So sometimes you have people on you for reasons. Sometimes these tests, they come for reasons. The final thing I'll mention when you learn from a test, the final <coughs> thing I'll say is this. What you also learn for the, from the test is how you shall be in the future. If you've been tested and you failed miserably at the test, you failed miserably, you bombed, you got below 60%, 50%, you are officially, you're in such a bad situation as you, ungraded. You failed bad in your test, horrible. You're just about to look for a way to get expelled from life. But then you have to think, what do I need to be like next time? <clears throat> the next time I'm tested, how should I have been? What did I learn from this? Where did I go wrong? I lost patience with people. I lost patience with situations. I let my anger get the better of me. I said stuff I had no business saying. I got out of pocket. When I shouldn't have gotten out of pocket, I said things I shouldn't have said, or I did this, I did that, or I didn't deliberate on things, and I just acted. How many times has someone been in an argument with someone? This married couple, they get in an argument, and the argument is, is the temperature is going up. And rather than the guy saying, you know what, I'm just going to take a walk for about 10, 20 minutes, just go out, and just shut the door behind her, just go on the walk. Man, I can't deal with this anymore, man. I don't know what to do. And clear his head. No, what happens, the temperature in the conversation is getting higher and higher and higher, and then all of a sudden he has to utter the words of talaq. And then he's ringing around trying to go shopping for his fetwas, Frosted Flakes fetwas, to try to find a way out of it. Oh, there's got to be a way out of this. And then he finds there is no way out. Well, I didn't really mean it. I mean, I only said it because I was angry. 
Who says my wife makes the best biryani and let, come let me give you talaq? Who does that? Obviously, we know you were angry. <laughs> no one's happy with their wife. You know what? You're a wonderful woman. I think someone else should experience you as well. Come here, let me give you talaq. No one does that. Obviously, you're angry when you, subhanAllah, who gives talaq when he's feeling great? Yeah, I've got a wonderful wife. You've got to see her. Come here, let me give you talaq. No one does that. That's, that's completely bogus. We have to be in a situation where these things, when you fail these tests, you have to learn from these tests and say, okay, what will I be like in the future? So then, here's everything laid out. The future is this. Number one, when tests come, look at the three things. Do I need, is this test a sign of something I need to organize? Number two, is this test a sign that I need to get my priorities sorted? Or number three, is this test a sign of something future to come because I'm not where I should be? Number two, the test has come. When it comes, you, you have to say, now what am I going to do about it? Because part of what Islam is is this belief, but it's also action. Okay, so what am I going to do about the test? You've received the bill, or you've received this, you've received that. Now what constructive activity are you going to do about it? You say, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do Okay, what are you going to do about it? Because everything is based on what you do based on things done to you. Prophet Muhammad is taught if they did what they did to him. Before he died, the year he died, a delegation came from Ta'if announcing it all converted to Islam. The year he died, because he's just going about the business of what Allah told him to do. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. A delegation from the Najd came. They said, we announced that we've, we've become Muslim. It's just going about the business of what Allah told him to do. The next thing, and the final thing is, in the testing, testing, you have to remain grateful. Even though you're under trials and tribulations, you have to remain grateful. Because there is always someone that is in a worse condition than you are. And I know it seems, he said, but who's in a worse condition than me? Lots of people, slow-mo, lots of people. The matter is looking at your reality. There are people that don't have the roof over their head that you have that don't have the three square meals that you have, that don't have the food and drink that you have, that don't have a selection of clothes. Let's see, what shall I wear? Shall it be the green shoes or the blue ones? Shall I drive the Beamer or such and such? I mean, they, you have more choices. Some people are just like, boy, do I ride my horse or walk? I mean, we haven't had meat in about four months. We might have to kill it. That's the choice that some people have. There's a friend of mine who was young, his mother had a whole lot of children. And there were just too many people. She couldn't afford to feed them. So she took him on a drive. He was the oldest one. And she said, I want to let you know that I respect you. And this doesn't change our relationship and how I feel about you. And he, she drove him far outside of the city of Los Angeles. Hugged him. Opened the car door. Pushed him out and drove off because she had to make a choice on which children will survive. Because he was old enough, he could make it on his own. It's 1968-1969. And that stayed with him his whole life. That his mother, for the betterment of the rest of the kids, pushed him out. Alhamdulillah, our parents haven't done that to us yet. 
Not yet. But what I will say is, you haven't been tested like that. So learn from your tests and trials and tribulations. مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما عطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد اللهم اغفر لنا المؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات والمحسنين والمحسنات والمجاهدين ومناقبات الأحياء منهم والأموات Oh Allah, we ask that you forgive us for our sins from the last Jummah all the way up until this Jummah and you make us better believers than when we came today. Oh Allah, we ask that you give us strength in these trying times and that we're able to accept whatever huzun you've given us and move forward with it. Oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from laziness, cowardice, and being ungrateful for all the favors that you've given us. And oh Allah, we ask that all the trials that we suffer, that we remain in good cheer and that we're able to glorify you and praise your name at all times throughout and after that event. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who when we see others suffering in trials that we might be a help to them. And O oh Allah, we ask that those who we see suffering, we ask, O oh Allah, that you make us among those who can be a comfort to others. And O oh Allah, the trials and tribulations that we see throughout the rest of this ummah for the other members, we ask, O oh Allah, that you give us compassion for them and that we can empathize with the pain that they're going through. And O oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who are a unified ummah, who are not separated by national boundaries, but are unified by the bond of Iman. And O oh Allah, we ask that you protect us from the tribulation and trials of nationalism, ungratefulness, laziness, cowardice, and all the wicked other attributes that come from shaitan within ourselves. And O oh Allah, we ask that you give us strength against our lower selves so that we can battle against the trials and tribulations that come from the sinful actions that come from within ourselves. And O oh Allah, we ask that you protect us against the insinuations and the wicked plots of shaitan and his allies against this ummah and the believers individually. And O oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who stand truthfully for this faith, courageous at all times. No. Clarity about reality. See more at no.com.